Well, hi everybody, welcome to Stretch Free Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle, and here we are on the uh, 10th of March, uh, 2003, or something like that. It feels like, anyway. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, uh, yeah, so here we are. It's, uh, we're still here. Anyway, I guess that's something to be uh, grateful for. Um, not a whole lot to talk about before we get going. Uh, Dave Big Booty says day 724 of 15 days to flatten the curve. Next week will be March 17th, and then on March 18th, it'll be two years since the lockdown because it happened here at the Stratosphere Lounge. I got the news while we were in the middle of the show saying, uh, you've got till midnight to get home before they, um, before they uh, you know, do the whole uh, arrest you for driving around kind of thing. Uh, they... Re- they eliminated the indoor mask mandate in California on Friday. Uh, and now the hunters have become the hunted. For the last two years, all the Karens were on people like me, like, why aren't you wearing a mask? But now I'm the Karen. Um, Hi, Jay. Jay, you're sorry. A couple people here have not been here for a while. Uh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, yeah, that's actually a good slogan. Come to think of it. Nevertheless, uh, now I can see um, people in the hallway, and nine out of ten are wearing masks. And I just want to say, I do matter with you. What's the matter with you? You're worthless and weak. That's really what I want to say. Uh, astronaut prints that we still have public transportation. Yes, undoubtedly, we still have to have it on the airplane. Uh, and, um, and hey, Tom, and uh, it's, um, yeah, and Steve says it's their religion. It is their religion. I think really the short form of it is the Trump people have said the whole time we don't need masks, and now we don't need masks, but I'm not going to be a Trump person. So anyway, um, I think... Uh, I think that's reading a lot still going on about the stuff not going to uh, we, we were late getting last week's show up but I think it's up now on Rumble because we talked about you know adult things as, as you might do in a free country uh, and um, and uh, nevertheless uh, this ongoing um, grand jury thing regarding the pandemic a uh, lot of a lot of sifting has to be done, but um, getting into the psychology now of, uh, of these mass psychological movements and stuff, it's just really, really fascinating. Uh, oh, well, Ginger says, thank you for using my Regulus and Carthage idea for the virtue signal. Thank you, and thank you for the great suggestion. We're, we're, uh, we're taking suggestions. Uh, by the way, if you have to fly on an airplane uh, and, and use like the, because uh, if you live in LA, it's pretty much five hours, pretty much anyway. Um, uh, at uh, LAX, they have, uh, is it C's candy? I don't remember. They're like these, you remember, were they sugar daddies? Is that was the name of those? Kind of like, they were like caramel, long caramel lollipops. Anyway, they got these things that are like, you know, cubes, about the size of a, in fact, almost exactly the size of a 9-volt battery. And uh, and they last for half an hour. You buy five, six of those. And then... Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm 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 eating. 
the viruses, viruses won't be able to spread because, because I'm eating. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, it's a, it's a strange world. Uh, you guys, you know, it's like to, to come to a point where it's like. You know, I think ultimately it just makes me just tired. I'm tired. Uh, and I'm just so tired of of everything that I see being a lie. You know? Just about everything. Just about everything is either intentionally wrong or accidentally wrong. And I'm just had enough of it. I'm just enough want to just kind of, you know, fortress of solitude for me. Was doing an interview earlier today. Um, did an hour and a half interview uh, with a with a great guy, who's a um, long time in comic book illustrations and then uh, computer games and stuff. Hey, Wazard's leaving Germany at last. Congratulations, Wazard. Uh, I hope you're heading west. Um, but uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about all kinds of things. Uh, we were talking about Superman. Was that it? Uh, Yes, we're talking about Superman, and um, and I said, you know, the, 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 he's a, there's essentially one superhero, and then just a bunch of other guys who are people in costumes, and so you've got this Superman with all these powers, and and you know, you, criticism was he's got to be touching kryptonite in every single episode because otherwise Superman just does whatever he wants to, and I made the point that I've made many times that Superman is. Uh, unlimited power constrained by his own morality. All the power came from Krypton. All the morality came from Jonathan Kent. And I've often thought it would be, if I was writing a Superman script, what I would do in order to get around the fact that he can do anything is I would set up situations where Superman was essentially incapacitated by his own morality. Something where if he does one thing, thousands of people die, and if he does something else, thousands of people die, and and I would just put that on him, which led to an interesting discussion because um, fast as he may be, at any given time in the world, there are thousands of people dying, and there are hundreds of catastrophes a day, and so the question I asked was, how does Superman decide who to save? I mean, assuming he can be aware of all of them, because he seems to, must be super hearing, which will probably get tedious after a while. But who, who does he decide to say? Uh, is there a body threshold? Is it a, I will save the Americans first, and if I got some free time, you know. The, ni the nice thing about a, a, about a, a creation of a fictional universe is you don't have to worry about those things. You don't present that logical thing but basically he lives in the real world and if he does live in the real world then every single second um, he uh, he has to be turning down hundreds of opportunities a day to save mass casualties how does he live with it um, that's an interesting question I think and what do people think what if you what if you're if you're the mother of a boy who's uh, school bus goes off a cliff killing 14 and Superman was around the world uh, in India saving a school bus that went off the road 
there that would have killed 20. Is it like Superman? You are American. You live in America. You kind of owe us first. You feel people would get resentful. I think they would. I think people would start to hate him. Um, and I think Superman would just kind of say, you know what, I'm done. That's how I feel sometimes. Um, but uh, I had never re realized until this conversation, just a couple hours ago, that he doesn't have a lodge or a, he doesn't have a um, timeshare in Cabo. Uh, he's got the Fortress of Solitude. Interesting combination of words. It's not the Cabin of Solitude. It's not the Palace of Solitude. It's not the uh, Mansion of Solitude. It's not even the Stately Solitude Mansion. It's the Fortress of Solitude. This is like Superman has to go someplace where he can just basically chill and he doesn't have to worry about other people constantly knocking on the door saying, See, is everyone, uh... which led us to the discussion of the fact that, you know, Superman's enemy is not Lex Luthor, it's uh, entropy, right? Things wind down. Uh, if you don't do anything, you get a you get a patch of weeds. A rose garden requires constant daily maintenance. Rust never sleeps, and you always have to mow the grass. And this is the thing. I think this would be really interesting to deal with as a as a writer, because we were talking about storytelling. I was thinking it'd be really interesting to do a story about Superman and how Superman copes with the fact that he can't do everything. How does he deal with that psychologically? Um, it's an interesting question. How do you how do you not think about all the people that you let die today? So anyway, we'll see. Uh, some people in the comment section are mentioning Batman. I haven't seen it. Uh, and no spoilers for me, but I've heard that it's just a very good detective story. Um, anyway, uh, that? Uh, Helios 1776 says, I can't imagine Pattinson being a physically intimidating presence. You know, I I'll tell you what, um, I was fully on board the screw you, Pattinson, you know, because of Twilight, because of that horrible, horrible, horrible crap. But but that boy is a great actor, and he's in one of my favorite movies, which is The Lighthouse. And he's fantastic. You know, it's just Pattinson and and um, and Willem Dafoe. It is uh, beyond bizarre, uh, and he's great in that. And um, and I actually worked as an editor on a show called Beyond Bizarre. Um, which was a, oh, it's a strange show. It was fun, actually. Beyond bizarre. Anyway, um, I'm going to try and get to questions pretty quickly here because your, your host is a little little tired today, actually. Um, the, um, Eric Blake says it's excellent. So there's your review. Uh last thing I was working on, I don't have it with me, I'm not going to show it, even if I did. But I'm trying to get this um, animation of to look more like me. The, the, the character that looks like Zoe looks exactly like Zoe. And I put some work into it, and then I looked at what I had before, and it makes me look like Australopithic... Australopithabill. I just... 
the thing I had for my model, it just looks like big cheekbones. So it's looking, it's looking better. Um, anyway, uh, that's about it. Lady Hawk says stress will make you exhausted. Well, in that case, I'm the tiredest man in the world. Um, it's uh, it's been a little rocky, but that's okay. I'm just just grateful and happy to be living here, uh, and uh, and that's the that's the truth. All right, so let's see what's going on over at BillWhittle.com. We'll take those questions first, and then I will try and get to um, the ones on Facebook. But man, I'm tired. That's a fact. Oh, there's a picture of me wearing my dork helmet. Checking in. Hang on. Everybody be, be cool. Everybody be cool. Members. Member form. Stretch for lounge questions and more. 31022. Stretch for lounge questions. And now there's two of those. That's disturbing. All right. We'll do the older one first. Here we go. Steve McCormick, Steve, and Steve H.P. McCormick. Hi, Steve. Hi, Bill, longtime follower and fan. Thank you very much. I was thrilled you mentioned you would move to Idaho. I live here, but the warmth in other locations is quite nice. My question involves your opinion on civil aviation. Where is it headed, improving, declining, staying the same? Seems to me that it is quite a time to be alive if you love building and engineering things, kit planes, for example. The barrier to entry is very small for a normal person to fab something up. Your thoughts? Steve M. from Boise. Thank you, Steve. Um, I uh, made a promise to certain people when I went to a certain uh, small, smallish town, smallish city, I guess, in the northern part of an undisclosed state that whenever I would refer to that place, I would just talk about how miserable it was and how the lake was just filled with hypodermic needles and sewage, raw sewage just running through the streets because they know I'm from California. Uh, but it sure is beautiful up there. Um, I would love to, I, I think I would love to live there. Um, but that's off the table on account of I married somebody from Siberia. So, uh, so she wins on that one. It's funny how that works. Uh, I grew up in Bermuda, Florida and California. And I love, I love it when it's cold. And I cannot stand the heat Heat in California is manageable. It's like standing behind a jet engine. It's 115 degrees outside and 12% humidity. Uh, but the Florida heat and humidity is brutal. But um, if we go, that's probably where we'll be going. Florida's state tax is 6%. I mean, you know, that's not a huge um, advantage moving out of California at 9 or 10 Texas zero, so there's that. But uh, uh, if we leave, it'll be. Um, it'll, I have no doubt it'll be Florida because Natasha likes the uh, likes the uh, South Florida beach scene, and uh, and I aim to please. I don't know if you're watching, honey, but uh, and I love you very much. Um, so uh, airplanes. You know the thing of it is, Steve. I I was big into the kit planes thing in the 80s and 90s because I couldn't afford to do anything other than buy kit planes magazines. And in the years since, I did a bunch of Sun and Funs in a, in a row, I want to say around 2008 or nine or something. 
And it seems to me now that there's actually less diversity out there than there was before. Um, there was like a fairly big explosion after the uh, sport pilot thing happened. Uh, FAA changed some regulations not too long ago, oh, not too long ago, 10 years at least now. Um, it basically said that instead of a private pilot's license being kind of the lowest license, there was a sport uh, pilot category, which which meant you could only fly in daytime and certain other restrictions, and sport planes had to be light below a certain weight and and all the rest of it. Uh, and then you got to fly for, you know, without having to uh, meet the rigors of the private pilot test. Um, and for a while, though, there were a bunch of light sport aircraft. I don't know. I, I don't see the kind of variety I used to see, and I and I don't see nearly as many home builds. It was long easies and very easies forever, and then the, was it the RVs, the metal planes? They were everywhere. Um, I think there's a, I think there's a, a revolution coming only because, oh God, excuse me, never ever yawn in front of an audience. That's one thing they taught us in theater. Be yawn in front of an audience, the whole audience will start to yawn. Um, I, I, I think there's going to be a revolution that comes along the lines of um, uh, fly-by-wire systems, auto, auto navigation. I think it's, I'm almost positive it's the Cirrus jet. But there is, in fact, overhead on that jet, an actual big red, honest-to-God panic button. And, and if you push that button as a passenger, that jet will fly itself to the nearest airport and then it will land itself. And I saw them do it. Um, and that is, you know, that's tremendous. That's just tremendous. Um, oh, God. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, you know, everybody's... Uh, I constantly ask of people, well, not constantly, but occasionally I'm asked, oh, wow, they got this flying car, you know? And, and I just keep thinking, everything that makes a good car makes a bad airplane, everything that makes a good airplane makes a bad car. Although Burt Rutan designed the bipod, which is a uh, electrically powered flying car. And I didn't get to fly it, but I get to drive it around, uh, which was kind of cool. Um, so, you know, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade there. I, I, I think... I know that when I when I really kind of got out of aviation, 2016, um, I I had been watching the glass cockpit revolution in terms of navigation, highway in the sky, uh, electronic uh, you know engine monitoring things, all that stuff. I think that's actually very very cool. But um, Helios beat me to it here. Speaking as a pilot, uh, the idea of everybody being in the sky terrifies me. Uh, one of the reasons I liked flying so much was I liked getting away from uh, from the idiots and the um, well, you know and the the line cheaters and all the rest of those. I, I loved. I think my favorite thing about flying was being around the people. The, the fact that everybody, with a few exceptions, um, were polite, competent, careful. And I really liked the, the culture, and I, and I just felt good there. I, don't, I think the only time I've ever been personally 
Yeah, I think so. I've seen I've seen a couple pilots that scared me because you know they looked like they were on the edge of competence. But the only time I think I've ever seen anybody do anything really just nasty was I was flying uh, uh, patterns out at Ramona, and um, and we and it was uncontrolled at the time. So we were we were next, and we were just heading downwind, or just about to make our crosswind. I mean, our base turn. And a P-51 came out of nowhere and just t cranked in front of us and landed, which is cool, but um, but not very nice or polite or safe. And the instructor I was with gave him a piece of his mind, and the guy argued back. And I thought, dude, you're wrong on this one, you know? It's like you, you can do whatever you want to in your Mustang. It's a great airplane, but you don't get to cut off people, especially student pilots in the pattern. It's just not done. I know you think you're, um, uh, you know, Sky King, and maybe you are, but you don't have a right to take those kind of chances with my life or anybody else's. Uh, Eric Blake wants to know if I have ever ridden in a hot air balloon, and would I, if I haven't already? I have not, and I have no desire to. Uh, I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> Strangely enough, I, I, I just, the idea of a, a hot air balloon just seems exceedingly unsafe for me. Yeah, I can't. I I don't know. It, it it feels to me like it would be. Oh my god, that it would be like standing on the top of a big building, you know, with a balcony. I don't know, but no, I haven't done it, and I haven't missed doing it. They are sure pretty though. I've seen a lot of them, in down San Diego, Orange County. Sometimes you look up and see fifty or sixty of them. That's quite a sight. But I kind of like to be, you know, if I'm going to be in a flying machine, I'd like to have some sense of being able to steer the thing and I know that a good hot air balloon pilot can can often with great precision steer that thing based on what the winds are doing at different altitudes but generally speaking no um, anyway Steve I hope that helped uh, here we go GK Masterson a little longer one but that's okay we got time that's what we're here for hey Bill a quick note I don't have any questions as of yet but I want to let you know that even though I kind of enjoy the teasing about calling me a dude even though I'm a chick and I was born female, my parents will be happy to attest to that. It does annoy me a little, and I want to explain why. I beg your pardon, madam. Uh, I've worked in, as I, I mentioned before, I think it's it's a connection to, um, um, <laughs> is it C.K. Chesterson? Who, who am I thinking of? Anyway, sorry, let's, let's see here. Uh, I've worked in IT and gaming most of my adult life and have been quite frequently the only person in the room without dangly bits. I'm damn competent in my profession, and so I was never an affirmative action hire. I don't doubt that for a second. I've also been told to my face that the reason I didn't get a promotion was because I was planning to eventually have children. I've learned how to speak assertively and confidently without coming across as bitchy or aggressive. I'm proud that I can compete against men and can prove myself to be better than some of them in my chosen career. So getting called a guy or having people assume that I'm a guy annoys me because it's like telling me that a woman can't hack uh, can't hack it in my fields and we all know that's bull. My brain is not connected to my uterus or ovaries or any more than your brain is connected to your testes. Well, you certainly have a, a solid um, background in, in computer design and your anatomy knowledge is first rate. Um, I know that you think my nick comes from C. G. K. Chesterton. I didn't think it came from there. It just it just locks itself into my head. It was awesome, but who actually comes from my 
it actually comes from my gamer tag back when I was uh, big in uh, Wow World of Warcraft, Geraldine, and my given name Kelly. So Geraldine Kelly, GK. How about that? Masterson was chosen because it would put me on the shelves near Martin and across from Sanderson in the fantasy shelves, which meant that I would have a higher chance of being picked up by random shoppers in physical bookstores. Well, that's brilliant. It really is. I'm still hoping to one day get good enough at writing to maybe get a deal with someone like Bain, but due to personal issues, I'm in the midst of a dry spell for original, fan for original fantasy writing and mostly am known over at AO3 for my Doctor Who, World of Warcraft, and FFXIV fanfics. Final Fantasy 14, I guess? Uh, so, uh, part of the reason why I'm always trying to get you to remember G.K. Masterson is a uterine American is because I'm proud of being a woman in a field where there are damn few of us who got in on merits, and also because, well, it's just kind of annoying to have someone assume something like that, Imagine that your name was Samuel instead of William, and you went by Sam, and people just assumed you were female all the time. Trust me, it would start to get on your nerves. So that's why I kick up a fuss when you call me a, a guy or refer to me as Mr. Masterson. Not that there's anything wrong with being a man. I love my favorite ex-husband. I love men. My favorite ex-husband is male. Uh, hey, Raffy. Raff. I'm just not a dangler and would appreciate and would like to be appreciated for who and what I am, a woman who's working in cybersecurity and who's not the world's worst healer in uh, FFXIG Savage rating. Thanks for all that you do, GK. Well, uh, that's long overdue for me uh, because I have to tell you, um, I have an astonishingly good memory for some things and other times I think I've got some serious brain leeching. I will be introduced to people at an event and I will shake their hand and I will not remember their name by the time I put the hand to the side. I don't know what it is. I think it's because I just kind of try to connect to them and I'm just not listening. Um, but uh, certainly this one's got my attention, so I will, um, I will make a major effort. And by the way, uh, it's good to know that uh, Geraldine and Kelly is there. Kelly, I just think Kelly's a cool name. I've always thought it was a cool name. Um, so, uh, uh, very sorry about that, uh, uh, GK. And um, and uh, I almost said I feel your pain, but obviously I didn't. I don't have any idea what you're going through uh, in terms of of that. It must be uh, must be a, a, a tough battle. Um, you know, kind of having to. to uh, just sort of prove yourself like that. Uh, not even prove yourself, just defend yourself is probably a better way to put it. So, um, anyway, uh, not a bad post for a dame. Uh, let's see what we got next here. Uh, Molly Crocker. Well, that's a name I haven't heard before. Hello, Molly. Uh, the very first podcast of The American Mind, February 21st, 2019 ask the question, what's the fundamental problem politics must solve? The answer lies in being a good shepherd. If the flock is shrinking and individual members aren't doing well, then those in charge are bad shepherds. Give a listen. It's a product of the Claremont Institute. I will do that. And uh, there's, I think, a link there. Um, 
not really a question, obviously, but you know, the one thing I've learned over the last two years, which was the starting from the lockdown and then with the election and everything, the thing I'm I'm rapidly coming to believe is that uh, is that it's not a good idea to depend on shepherds. Uh, we we sheep are going to have to take care of ourselves here. The thing I seem to find uh, going on everywhere, all around the world, is that the leaders of, of the countries that are the countries that they lead are at war with their own people. I had this conversation with Natasha many times during the last 13 days or whatever it's been, that the people are not the country and that and that I only able to square that up after the sneak attack on uh, November of 2020. And I kept thinking that the, the country's gone and then I managed to find a way to grab myself every time I think that and say, no, the government's gone. It's not the same thing. In fact, oftentimes uh, they are not only not the same thing, they're antithetical to each other. Um, so, uh, Arts Treasure said we, we don't remember other people's name because subconsciously we are focused on hearing our own name. We need to consciously affirm their name and associate it with something on the person to make the memory stick. Sales backer. Well, you had me on um, waiting to hear my own name. That's when I knew that this must be true. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, I really think, I mean, it's not a question, but I really, I've lost my confidence in the shepherds. I'm getting down to really being a sheepdog kind of thing here. Uh, I don't know. And I've said this before. I've said everything before. I should just, you know what? I've not only have I said everything before, but I've said I've said this before more than I've ever said anything else before. Uh, uh, Now all I have to do is remember what it was that I'd said before when I said I'd said it before. Oh, um, all of this is shocking and appalling, and it's shocking and appalling to my wife to see what's what's going on, uh, you know, with Russia. It's shocking and appalling to me to watch the president of the United States see if he can find his way off of the podium and you know without falling and 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 finish the sentence without going. And, 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 well, Anyway, you know, that, that's appalling. It's appalling for Australians to see their own government rounding up their people and sending them to concentration camps in the north of the country. It's appalling for Canadians to see this, this plastic um, mannequin that they elected uh, panic at the first sign of genuine opposition and, and, and then just invoke these emergency powers to take away people's property, money, lives, uh, you know, all of it. All around the world, all around the world, it's appalling and I've always been such a, a a nationalist you know patriots probably a better word but I've always been like I don't really much care what the rest of the world is doing I just think America does most most things better and so I'm kind of that's kind of where my focus is but every day that goes by I become more and more and more reconfigured to thinking about this as an as an as a humanity problem as an international 
problem. It's 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 really, it's really. Uh, none of these people represent. None of these politicians represent the people, and we've let this go on for 15, 20 years. And the thing that I've said, I've said before, that I've said before when I said it before back then, uh, is that you know the, here's the thing about going to the doctor's office and having them tell you that you've got cancer. That's a bad, bad, bad day, but it's not as bad a day as it would have been if he hadn't told you that. Uh, pithier version of this is, uh, is when I said, um, only thing worse than going down to your basement and finding your foundation's been eaten out by termites is not going down into your foundation and finding out that your basement's been eaten out by termites. If you get a, if you get a diagnosis of cancer, that's the, that instant is when the fight starts, is when the, is when the, the cancer now has, now, now we're fighting back. Uh, I don't, um, I, I, I just keep, you know, this just seems like things, the worst case scenario has been around for so long that it, and it hasn't happened, you know, it wasn't the ozone hole, it wasn't acid rain, it wasn't the, the bees, it wasn't, you know, it hasn't been global warming. It hasn't been, you know, nuclear war. It's just, just this horrible stuff just never really happened. And I think it's because um, and when I say it never really happened, I mean it's a Russian commander on a submarine at the Cuban Missile Crisis and the U.S. is dropping um, test depth charges to get them to come up and realize that the Cuban Missile Crisis is over. They're getting ready to launch a nuclear torpedo. One guy says, no. Um, Dave Big Booty says, nothing has gone right ever since Harambe was murdered. Amen. Um, and then, uh, you know, in 87 or something, there's a Russian colonel who's looking at his radar screens and he sees these incoming American warheads. He's got a standing order launch on detection, you know, and if he doesn't, he's going to get shot or sent to the Gulag or whatever. And he, and he doesn't. He doesn't launch on detection. He waits for confirmation. Turns out it was a software glitch. Glitch. So there's strong. There's strong, sort of subterranean humanitarian. Forces at work, that inhibit us from doing the really awful things, at least on a large scale. I was talking with Natasha about this last night. Um, it's a weird thing to talk about because one of my core beliefs is that uh, people are the same as they've ever been. We're made out of the same stuff, and all of the faults in the human condition cannot be wished away. You know, we're 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 built like this, and it's not a bad deal. But with that said, uh, we were talking about. The, the, this sounds so patchouli. But I think you can really say there's really no question that, that, that the sort of the level of consciousness or the level of conscience maybe for the entire species is rising. Things that were just commonplace a century ago, kicking dogs in the streets, tying tin cans to the tails of cats, setting animals on fire for the laughs, laughing when old people fell down the stairs, thinking that's funny, all that stuff. Um, and uh, and um, and those things are just not acceptable anymore. I was kind of thinking when when, um, when I was thinking about the end game on uh, 
the crane I just it took me a day to get it edited I've got the um, this week's moving back to America it's called no exit it's about Putin's history his power structure and and I I don't think he's gonna be around very much longer that's my personal uh, opinion you can tell me what you think at the end of that um, but anyway it's just all around the world I'm getting that sense like you know and, and a lot of that's watching this grand jury thing because this investigation of the whole COVID thing from start to finish, it's really, here's somebody from Austria, here's a Japanese researcher, here's a Canadian statistician, here's a German um, geneticist, here's an American MD. It's all around the world. And, and, and these people are experts and they're all on the same page. It's like every one of them is saying, we don't recognize this. And I think it's probably a smart play. I really do. I think it's a, a smart play to make it about that because it gets people out of their trenches. I'm certainly willing to concede something I never conceded before, and that was that I'm utterly convinced that that uh, large corporations uh, that may be manufacturing Victrolas or whatever the case may be uh, are fully aware of the fact that they've just plain put out a very defective product and people are paying a big price for it and they knew it in advance and they did it for the money. I, I, I used to think that that sort of thing was just, no, I just not, just, no, people don't work that way, but turns out they do. Um, so anyway, um, you know, there you go. Uh, moving down the list, Trevor Duel, Duel, Duel. Sorry, Trevor. Uh, is it that there are just next to no conservatives in the arts or are they just closeted? Yes. Is it just that the arts simply attract more liberal than conservative types? Also, yes. I know that when I was playing in orchestras and gigs before the army, that's an interesting uh, sentence, I kept pretty quiet about my politics. I would classify the vast majority of musicians that I played with as annoyingly liberal. 100% correct, uh, Trevor. That's exactly my experience as well. There's something, and I can almost get to this. Um, when I talk, when I talk about the, like a person who's creative, other people you can be creative in any number of ways, and 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 I'm not one of these people. You know, people try to define. Oh, he's not. A, he, he's very intelligent. He's just got physical intelligence. You mean he's like a good athlete? Yeah, but that's not intelligence. And emotional intelligence, that's not intelligence either. Let's not define the word out of all meanings, right? Let's, let's make the word mean something. Um, but people who are in the, in the, uh, the creative arts, in order to create things, you really do kind of have to detach yourself from reality. Uh, probably the simplest example I can think of is an actor, a good actor, good actors, really good actors, it has been my consistent experience, are the most boring people in the world. In fact, really good actors, when you get a chance to talk to them, there's nothing there. I mean, really, very little there. Because the kind of people that, that are driven to become good actors, I think do it because on some level they understand that there's that there there is no essential personality there and the act of taking on a role not only 
provides a service to the people watching, but provides to them some kind of sense of personhood that they don't often experience. My mom sat and talked with this sad looking man at a party when she was a young woman in Britain. And she said he was very sad and quiet and he was sitting on the side of the chairs. She said he was the boring, most boring man I ever spoke to, and it wasn't until afterwards that somebody told her that it was Peter Sellers, but I didn't find that shocking at all. So, during the uh, warm-up for the show here, people, uh, we had a couple people here, uh, new for the first time, and one or two of them said, um, uh, it was about 6.04, 6.03, something like that. Somebody said, hey, I just got here, um, am, am, am I... Uh, Am I on time, or is, is Bill normally this late? And and uh, and then and I and then when I stop laughing, uh, then um, then I realize no, you're 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 not late. Uh, and then everybody who's been here for a while leapt in and essentially said, "We're on Bill time here. You might as well just sit back and relax, just kick back." And I realized I've got an entire subsection of the space-time continuum named after me. But uh, tidiness is not my primary virtue. See? It's just, it's just not. And, um, and, I, and I'd love to tell you there's a good reason for that. So, um, so I will. There's a good reason for that. Uh, I, I take in an awful lot of, I'm speaking for myself because I think this applies to virtually all the arts. Uh, I, I take in an awful lot of data and when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm able to put pieces of, of story and data and history and all the rest of it stuff and put it together in such a way, hopefully when I'm doing it right, that it's not only somewhat new or novel, it's also explanatory. It also, hopefully, when I'm doing it right, makes people think, I didn't really saw it that way. And almost always, it's things that are much simpler than they appear to be. And the reason I'm able to do that, to the degree that I'm able to do that, is because, because of how untidy my uh, thinking is. Uh, I can... Um, I can bore down on a problem. I mean, I can spend uh, and have repeatedly spent 14 hours trying to get a router to work or, or something like that. So it's not a question of having a short attention span. I have a profound attention span. And sometimes I'll just read a book all the way through just to do it, just because I can't put it down. Um, somebody once was talking about a writer and they said, oh, uh, I'll tell you one thing, once, once you put once you have one of his books, once you put it down, you, you just can't pick it up again. Um, but it's that lack of structure that allows these things to move and, and just kind of swim around in the soup and then like proteins, they just go, well, that's interesting. Well, that's interesting too. Um, and I think that most uh, people in the arts are like that. They're, they're very detached from the constraints of reality that's probably a good way to put it. Um, they're, they're able to do what they do because they're not constrained by uh, reality. 
And that would be marvelous if they recognized that and, and were willing to stay out of adult business. Now, I'm a theater major, so for those of you who think I'm dumping on uh, actors and writers, I am. Uh, only because when I was in the middle of that, I was so wrong about so many things. And I wish somebody had been able to sit me down and say, you either have to learn about the things you're talking about or, and, and you don't have to do that, but otherwise talk about something that you know because you don't know anything about this. Uh, so, um, so anyway, um, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, the best I've ever heard it described was by Evan Sayed in a book called The Kindergarten of Eden, of, e of Evil, yeah, of Eden. He said that um, he said that leftists have rhetorical intelligence, that they're extremely good storytellers, but the basis of those stories being rooted in fact got nothing to do with them. They don't care. Um, it, it is creative people, artists and musicians and so on. Look, you, you mentioned you're a musician. You can get somebody to learn how to saw a violin, but to be a good violin player, as an example, you have to feel the emotion of the music. You have to put your emotion into it, which means that uh, people who are in the arts are emotion-driven people. And if they weren't, then they'd be no good at what they do. The problem comes when that emotion-driven attitude that's so effective in the arts gets transcribed over to things that do impact reality like war, politics, science, and all the rest of that stuff. Then you get into real trouble because they're not capable of realizing as a general rule, and I managed to cure myself of this, that, that the world is not run by what they want to have happen. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Amundsen said, uh, they know so much that isn't so. That's Reagan's quote, I guess. It's not that liberals are stupid. It's just that so much of what they know just ain't so, which is not true. That's a problem. Um, I will say, uh, as I've said before, as I said before, when I said I said before that I'd said before, I would much rather listen to an engineer dr uh, sing than drive over a bridge that was designed by an actor. Uh, let's see, moving on. Justin Whitson. Oh, we might as well get into this. Bill, I'm afraid you're going into deep water on the Ukraine-Russia invasion. There's been so much propaganda on both sides surrounding this horrible situation. The story about 13 Ukrainians on Snake Island that died, false. The story of Miss Ukraine beauty contestant going to fight, false. She was posing with an airsoft gun. The pictures of the Ukrainian president geared up for battle, false. He's still there, and I'm not saying he's not putting in effort, but the pictures we have seen most of the time were taken six months or a year ago. The story of the ghost of Kiev ace pilot, false. We have no clue about casualties. The Iranians claim some 4,000. Russia says it's around 500. Truth's probably somewhere in the middle. And with people like George Soros and Hillary Clinton throwing their full support behind Ukraine, who knows what to believe? There's more coming, but let me just say this. All of those things are false. Which directions were the tanks moving when they crossed that line? That's not false. And so all of this 
all of this froth, I'm not accusing you of froth, Justin, I'm just saying it's out there. All of this froth about what's true and not true is legitimate. In fact, the show I did earlier today with Zoe is called Telling the Truth, not in speaking the truth, but how can you tell what's true? Did a whole show on how can you tell what's true? And the dangers of, 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 of wanting to believe things uh, that, uh, that you want to believe, all of that. So, yes, all of that stuff turned out to be false. But the one thing that didn't turn out to be false was there is, in fact, a line between Ukraine and Russia, and the tanks went from Russia into the Ukraine. That part is not false. And anything around that that is trying to mitigate that, to me, is misguided. So I get, I get that aspect of it. Be, just be, look, if George Soros and Hillary Clinton are throwing their full support behind Ukraine, that doesn't mean that Russia's right. It, it's, if that were the case, if, if, if anything that George Soros or Hillary Clinton believed in, I had to not believe in, then if they told me they believe in gravity, then I have to believe it. That's just, it's just fallacious thinking. Um, now, without question, uh, Marusha Dark's talking about it. I talked to somebody who's a Ukrainian, uh, a Russian living in Ukraine in one of the contested regions. They've been, they've been fighting for almost 10 years. There's been all kinds of murders and rapes and all the rest of it. And this idea that Ukraine is, is like, is like uh, you know, this ideal, idealized republic just isn't true. And there's no question it's not true. It's just, and I'll get to the rest of your stuff here. I've heard so much justifications, counter justifications. I just finished, it's not up yet, but I just finished a, a second episode of Moving Back to America that talks about what Putin is, how he sees it. And not just how he sees it, but how many Russians see it. And all of this is, is mitigating, and all of it is interesting, and, and all of it is relevant. But when you get down to it, the only thing that really does matter is is there a border between Ukraine and Russia? Turns out there is. Who crossed the border? And which way were they going? So, so do, so do I have, so here's Helios. Uh, if so, uh, so Bill, do you believe a separatist part of the country has the right to declare independence from the rest of the country? And does another then have a right to acknowledge that independence and send military aid? Yes, you have a right to declare independence, but that's a political statement. And to uh, and you have to do that first. This this contest these contested regions you can find to the horizon people on both sides talking about it, but that's not the point. The point is is that is that you cannot simply just go and 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 you just can't do it. You just can't do it. So it's not a question of the Ukrainian border. It's a question of borders. That's really what it comes down to. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I've had people say, oh, the Ukrainians are Nazis and they have all these dirty bioweapons labs and all that. You know what? That may even be true. That may even be true. But um, it, it doesn't justify the... You, you've either got law or you don't. And, and the reason people are so torqued around this worldwide 
is because we had the feeling that maybe we'd put this whole kind of thing behind us. Now, as I said earlier, I don't think that's ever going to go away, but it's just not done, like kicking dogs and spitting on the streets. You know what I mean? And that's a good thing as a general rule. Um, the I'm, I'm just, uh, when I look at so many of the problems in the world, when I look at the way leftists think and so on, it seems to be that throughout the planet, the entire idea of cause and effect is just going away. That, okay, these two people are fighting and so they're both equally guilty. Well, who started it? You know, that's kind of that's what I'm kind of going with is like, Somebody did, in fact, start this, right? I mean, this, this, like, um, if somebody, if somebody comes into my house in the middle of the night and I shoot them, that person's dead and I'm still alive. Am I to blame for this? Or is the person, my response to these kind of home invasion things is an example. This guy was killed breaking into somebody's house and it was excessive force. My, my, every time I hear that, it's like, I didn't break into his house and I wouldn't break into his house because if I broke into his house and he shot me, that wouldn't surprise me. You see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like ultimately, you know, you know, there it is. Now, every border in the world's been trounced back and forth and so on and so on and so on. But, but look, Vladimir Putin is not an idealist and he doesn't have an idealistic uh, reason for doing this. Vladimir Putin is a is a is a chimera. He's 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 fifty percent kleptocracy gangster, and he's fifty percent KGB Russian Empire guy, and he uses the one to justify the other, and so he has a pretty warped perspective of things. He tried to join the KGB when he was sixteen, and just because he believes it doesn't mean he has the right to do it. Kennedy. Uh, Mobile Moda says, Kennedy in invaded Vietnam because we didn't like China subduing Vietnam during the French occupation of Vietnam. I disagree. See, I think that we were in Vietnam because the North Vietnamese communists attacked the South. And I think we were in the Korean War because the North Korean communists attacked the South. And I think we're concerned about Russia because the Russian communists invaded Hungary and they invaded Czechoslovakia and they invaded Poland and they invaded uh, Afghanistan, and they did all of these things, and they did them first. And it was the Russians who broke the agreements uh, of the Potsdam Declaration. It was the Russians who sealed off Berlin against uh, the agreement that they'd signed. It was the Russians who had uh, said that Poland would be able to vote in their own free elections. That didn't happen. It was all of this, all of it, all of it, all of it was aggression, communist aggression, most of it from Russia, and everywhere around the world, whenever you talk about America being deployed, you're always dealing as a reaction to something else. It's never just like, yeah, hey, we just feel like doing that. Dave Big Booty says it was the Soviets. Well, Dave, I'm married to a Russian. I know the Russian people very well. One of the first, in fact, I think the first conversation I had with my uh, future wife was how much I admired the Russian people. So I don't feel like I have anything to prove in that regard, but I'll tell you something. There is, there is something about the Russian psyche and, and 
uh, this is not a news flash. It's got to do with the size of the country. It's got to do with the severity of the weather. But the Russian psyche and authoritarianism are, are deeply connected in a way that is not true for other countries. Every country's got its own blind spots. Every country's got its own good points and weaknesses and so on. But, but this, this totalitarianism thing suits, suits their, their national character and especially, especially this sense of victimhood. This sense of we're we're surrounded and 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 it's just us and the and you know in the West and this and cycle we're encircled it's like you invaded all of these countries we didn't do that you're the ones who basically just divided Europe along the line where the where the Red Army stopped now we were allies in that war and the second it was over Stalin looks around and he says I got six seven million people under arms I got tens of thousands of tanks. The West isn't going to fight us. Everything that we are, here's our line of where our soldiers are. This is all ours now. That's Poland. That's parts of Austria. That's Bulgaria. All of it. All of it. So this business about, you know, oh, it doesn't, you know, it's all, it's one side or another. You look at it both. No, you don't get to look at it both ways. You don't. Um, people broke college student bill what's your response to those that say the idea of communist containment was unnecessary that the domino theory was false cuba certainly in the early up up until the early 2000s there were Cubans who were essentially boiling stones for soup. Okay, these people are basically starving. They've got, they've got, they they've got an island that is capable of producing a significant amount of wealth, and and it didn't. And the reason it didn't was because a guy with a beard convinced those people that he's on their side. And when Fidel Castro died, he had eight hundred million dollars in his personal bank account. $800 million in his personal bank account, and they're still driving 58 Studebakers in Havana today because that guy has decided that they're going to be playing by themselves. Oh, $900 million, I'm sorry. What's a few hundred million between communist comrades? Uh, that guy decided, no, I'm, I'm just, we're, we're just going to do this. We're going to have this ideology. It's the, there's no other way on planet Earth that Fidel Castro ends up with $900 million unless he's able to convince an entire nation that he's doing this for their own good. Right? It's, it's all just... It's just... It's... There is a difference between between the way the West behaved and the way that the that the East behaved, especially after World War II. And and to say that they're equal, or or to say that it's the West's fault or it's the West that's aggressive, it's just not true. It's just not. It's just not true. So let's look at the rest of this. The situation is horrible, and I feel for the Ukrainians and Russians alike, as do I. But I also think this is a massive distraction and will be used in an attempt to unify the U.S. to help mitigate the damage in the upcoming midterms. That's to say that we are responsible for what Vladimir Putin does. Either we set it up or we could have stopped it.
But whenever I hear these kind of things like, 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 like this, it always strikes me as the as being the fallacy of that that nobody in the world has any agenda or authority except for us. We we did this in the Middle East, therefore, um, therefore, uh, this is our fault. We did this over here, therefore, this is our fault. This is our fault. It's all it's all about us. All about us. No. Laurel, uh, Vladimir Putin doesn't need. The, Vladimir Putin doesn't need the the the, the story of of uh, of a distraction. That's not his motivation. It may it may be part of of what was in his decision making, but Vladimir Putin's not not in the Ukraine because because he wants to distract Americans from the from the midterm elections. Right? I mean, I, I just don't I don't see how that works. He doesn't need it. It's, it, it seems to me to be a, kind of a kind of a strange thing to say that Vladimir Putin invaded the Ukraine in order to help distract Americans from the upcoming midterms. And I don't know how else you would interpret that to say, I think that the invasion is a massive distraction and will be used in an attempt to unify the U.S. to mitigate the damage of the upcoming midterms. It may end up that way, but that's not the cause of it. I support the Ukrainian people, and I want them to determine their own destiny without interference from Putin and Moscow. Me too. But I also want them to determine their future without interference from NATO in the West. Me too. It seems to me that the decision about NATO should be up to the Ukrainians, but I'm old school like that. We already outed one of their presidents after they had an election in 2014 because we didn't like him. We have, as always, been meddling in other people's affairs. And now when Putin uses our own language and political tactics against us to justify his actions, we are contemplating kicking off World War III, not specifically saying you, but others. That's a fair point. I completely agree with your position prior to the invasion. Someone strong or at least someone crazy could have prevented this from happening. Not just could have, did. Did. I was, I was real strong on, on Trump as a deterrent, and that's before I found out that he had said to Putin face to face, uh, uh, Vladimir, if you go into Ukraine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bomb Moscow. When I heard he actually said that, is that true? Did he really say? Yeah, I really did say that. Right. So the big Russian puppet, who was installed by Putin, you know Trump. You would think that if you're gonna, if you're gonna pay for an American president, that you would use him while he's in office. I always find that rather. Hard to believe that the left still thinks that Trump is a Russian puppet, and during the during the four years that Trump was president, Russia did not do anything uh, aggressive militarily. We became energy not only independent, but we became energy exporters, which which basically undercut the entire revenue stream of Russia. This is what I was saying earlier. There comes a time when I'm just tired. You know, I'm not tired of doing this. I'm not tired of, 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 the, of the, the, the work. I'm, I'm just tired of, of being lied to. And, I'm, and, and the only thing worse than these liars for me is how many people believe this stuff. That's the thing that really takes the heart of me, you know. It's all just, the world is inverted. Um, all right, let's see what else we got here. 
Uh, someone strong, or at least someone crazy, could have prevented this from happening. That's what the job of the United States is supposed to be. I believe that in my heart. Arsenal of democracy, I believe that stuff. I really do. I really do believe it. And people say, well, who should, whose side should we be on? We should be on the side of the people who want freedom. That's not so hard. Honestly, that's, that's, that's it. That's what, that's, that's the brand. The United States should not get involved beyond sending weapons and ammunition, and even that will probably come back to bite us in the ass that it has every other time we did it. There was a way that this could have been deterred, but it wasn't deterred. And Joe Biden said, we knew that these sanctions were not going to deter him, to which my silent reply was, well, Joe, at any point in this, did you ever give any consideration to something that would deter him? Did the that ever cross your mind under any circumstances? He's coming out and saying, well, we knew this wasn't going to deter him. Well, then what, what do you think might have? I've seen enough with the situation from conservatives who revere our founding, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, and practically worship George Washington as a god. These same people are ready to throw out the warnings of this great man and our founding father, friendship and trade with all, entangling treaties with none. In order to go and fight to protect the sovereignty of one of the most politically corrupt nations in Europe, in order to, uh, while our southern border remains completely undefended and the full-scale butchery that is the war in Yemen is being waged with weapons we provided continues on. There's a little bit to unpack there, but yes. Look, I have a political philosophy and we share it because that's why you're here. When I was doing the virtual presidency thing, it was refreshing to be able to say that it would be nice to be governed to our principles and, and, and that I believe that such a thing is actually somewhat possible if you don't have politicians doing it. But the thing that I liked about the virtual presidency and especially about the, um, the, uh, Oh, what was it called? It wasn't what we believe. It was the, the, the thing, the 12 part thing from your government. Um, it was nice to be able to say this is what it would sound like if there was a politician who, who believed this stuff and acted accordingly. So we don't live in a perfect world, but in a perfect world, or e let me rephrase that, in a world that would be attainable, there would be consistency. It's undeniable is when the Soviet Union broke up, Ukraine had a number of nuclear weapons and Bill Clinton convinced them to turn them in in exchange for an ironclad guarantee that America would back them in the event of Russian aggression. Now, you can say that that was a bad deal, and you can say that we maybe should not have made that deal, and I'd be perfectly willing to listen to that case and, and probably be inclined to agree with it, but that's not the point as far as I'm concerned. What I'm concerned about is we did make that agreement, and that means we have to live up to it. And this is the thing that makes me just so disgusted, is, 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 the, is not even so much whether it's a smart promise or a stupid promise, it's the fact that we broke the promise. That's the thing I cannot face, the thing I cannot deal with. 
you can say, and you're probably right, that we shouldn't have been in Afghanistan in the first place, maybe, I don't know, but, but we were, and when we promise those people that we take care of them, and they're climbing on a C-17 and falling thousands of feet to their death because we went back on our word, that is disgraceful. Disgraceful. Um, so this is the thing that, that has me on, on this Ukrainian side so strongly. Because if we hadn't done that, if Bill Clinton hadn't gone over there and talked them into giving up their nuclear weapons in exchange for an iron class, ironclad promise uh, Mobile Moda says it wasn't Clinton's promise to make. It was was it ratified by Congress. I don't know, but but now we're into was Bill Clinton a good president? No. Did he use extra constitutional authority? Yes. Does everybody? Yes. Did Donald Trump? Yes. Executive orders for this and that. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. I am I am a complete purist when it comes to this. The president has the responsibility to manage the war, but the declaration of war comes from Congress. And if we are going to go out and shoot people, then we have to have a declaration of war from the United States Congress. That means that the people of the United States approve of this. And that's why the system was supposed to work the way that it did. And again and again and again and again and again and again and again, we find things that work absolutely perfectly, not only in theory, but in practice, but they get to be inconvenient. And so we just do an end run around them. Um, so this is, it's a strange thing to be able to say that I am a realist when it comes to human nature, but I nevertheless am fighting for, ide for, ideal, for idealistic reasons because I think, this, I think this system of governance is as good as it gets for this particular species of hominid. I really do. When it's performing according to the instruction manual. So to me that means you live up to your obligations. It means that you, you, you do things like Washington said. We don't need to get involved with all that other stuff. But, but it, also means, it also means that we, that we don't get to be as, as naive as we want to be and think that just because we want to retreat into Fortress America that, that bad things will not come after us or follow us or happen to people who are friends of ours or allies of ours or, or just, just innocent people. I'll tell you something. I really will. Um, I really think if I, if, if this whole idea of alternate futures, I'm not saying this was a real alternate future, but looking at history, right? It's going to generate a lot of heat. And, and I know it is, and I don't care. The North Koreans invaded South Korea. They did it with the approval of the Kremlin. And they did it with Stalin's understanding that this would be a problem for America. And America was a problem for Stalin's desire to run all of Europe and eventually the world. I think history went off the rails. If I had to pick when history went off the rails, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you. I think MacArthur was absolutely right. I think we should have. I think we should have nuked the Chinese the second they came across the border in the Korean War. I think we should have nuked them out in the middle of the wasteland, and it would have been an entirely military operation, no civilian targets at all, just a troop concentration out there. We should have done it because we didn't start that war, but we meant to finish it. And if we had done that, if we had done that, then 
Vietnam would never have happened. And if Vietnam had never happened, then all the rest of the stuff wouldn't have happened. If we had actually, actually done what we said we were going to do, if we had actually decided to stop this aggression, then we wouldn't be in this trouble. And when it became clear that America was going to talk a big game but not really do anything, then all you're left with is putting out fires everywhere. It's putting out fires. So the Korean War became putting out fires. And the Vietnam War was about putting out fires. And the War on Terror is about putting out fires. All of this stuff. All of this stuff. Uh, J.W.T. Kudis says Patton should have destroyed the Red Army. I don't know if he should have destroyed the Red Army, but, but somebody should have made the, 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 the Soviets understand that when you sign an agreement with your allies, that means you have to obey it. And we didn't. We didn't. And you know why we didn't? I know why. The reason that we didn't do it was because of the, uh, was because of this, um, I don't know if it's got a name, it's a thought experiment. You're on the freeway, guys in a Mercedes and a guy's in a beat up old rusted Pinto and they're both going into the same lane. Who's going to back up first? Who's going to, who's going to avoid that, that equally valid desire to be in that, in that center lane? The Mercedes is going to back up first. Why? Because the Mercedes is pristine and spotless and valuable, and the Pinto is already beat to hell and he's got nothing to lose. If you understand how that dynamic works, then you understand that that has been played against us because we're the Mercedes. This is where we've been ambushed. We've been, we've been not ambushed, subverted, right? Look, you either believe it or you don't. I'm not talking about you individually. I mean, any country. You either... either If you're going to stand for freedom, you need to stand for freedom. And if you're not, then you're Finland or Argentina or, or, or any other place in the world. Okay? This is, I'm not saying that we should be sending people to Ukraine. I'm not saying we should have been sending people to Vietnam. I'm not saying anything. What I'm saying is if we had lived up to what we said we did, we wouldn't have to be doing all these things. And people say, oh, you wanted a war. You wanted, you, you wanted to put troops in, in Ukraine and blah, 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 on the border. You wanted a war. No, I, put, I wanted to put troops in the border of Ukraine to prevent the war, you see. And does this work? It does work. How do we know? Because Korea has the most heavily armed border and there are U.S. troops and they've been there for 70 years now and there has not been an attack into South Korea because even these lunatics in North Korea know that if they do that they're going to have to kill Americans and that means that they're going to have to deal with the big dog and that's why South Korea is still free. Seoul is within artillery range of the border and if there were not American troops there then Seoul would be as scenic at nighttime as Pyongyang. So this is it, you know, th this is it. My big view on things, Ukraine and all the rest of the stuff is, is, a, is a subset of a much larger view of mine. And that is that, that despite the fact that we're made out of the same material, the United States has behaved at least up through the end of World War II before the Korean War has behaved as well as any nation could, and especially as well as any 
great nation could. And by great, I mean a nation that's involved with, with the world, not just Switzerland, right? And the proof is after this horrendous war that was just an existential fight to the death, after we'd beaten Germany and Japan, we, we, gave them, we gave them money and we helped them on their feet. And while we're doing that, our enormous army and navy, we had 33 aircraft carriers at the end of the war. 33. We had fleets of B-29s. We had as many atomic bombs as we wanted to make. Could have been anywhere, done anything we wanted to, and we didn't. Not only did we help our enemies up, we disarmed in the biggest disarmament in the history of the world. That is, that is a statement of, of a country's moral character. And that's why the left has been trying to destroy this country from the inside because they know they can't destroy it from the outside. So once you start eroding away that moral base, then you start saying things like, well, you know, uh, yeah, we did, we did say that, but that was then and this is now. And once you get to that place, then the then all of the power, all of the power that you gain from being a force for freedom and human dignity and, and, and the value of human life, when you throw away that moral authority by behaving contrary to your own values, then then the then the then the the secret sauce is gone. The magic's gone. Um, and it's been going on like this for a long time. And and there's so much damage done now that you would have to keep every bargain you ever made for a century before people started trusting us again. And people, a lot of people say, well, why do we even care about that? Well, because America, people say, well, why do we have to be the world's policemen? And my answer is not that we don't have to be the world's police. My answer is yes, we do. And the reason that we have to do that is because we are a we are a trading nation. We are a we are a trading nation that doesn't have any desire for anybody else's territory. Unlike Russia, unlike China, which are self-centered with land armies and trying to be self-contained, we are dealers. And that means we have to be able to travel the world and sell things to people because we're not forcing them to buy it. They want to buy it. Everybody wins. If I make a good spear and you make a good basket and we trade them, everybody goes up, right? So that's what we're here for. We are we are the we are the trading nation. You can't you can't be a trading nation and be a militarily dominant nation at the same time in terms of actions. The whole purpose of American armament and defense has been to protect the peace. And this idea that if we were to just leave, that then everything would be hunky-dory is, is to invite it. The reason I'm a hawk on these things is because there are people out there who, who, who are not like us who will do bad things, and you're going to have to fight them sooner or later. And if you have to fight them, I'd rather fight them over there than fight them here. That's just the way I feel about things. So um, it's, it's an extremely difficult thing to do to make a country that, well, you know, like I said to my wife last night or yesterday, day before, America, invented by geniuses, run by idiots. 
and not just idiots, run by moral degenerates. An America that's true to itself is an unstoppable force, and that's why it has to be destroyed, and it is being destroyed. And um, and the uh, and the, the other aspect of the American moral authority comes from the fact that this country is made up of the world. This is this country is made up of everybody else in the world. This is the this is the this is the, the town square of the planet. So you can't say, well, you have always done... What do you mean? If, if we were to actually get in a shooting war with Russia, here in Los Angeles, the language I hear the most, other than English, is not Spanish. It's Russian. And, and this, is where the, this is where the moral authority and the, and, the, and the unwillingness to do it comes from. I think you can make a case that you can that you should that you can move out of, of being the world's policeman if you can make the case that the world doesn't need a policeman. And if you can make that case that the world can survive without a policeman and you can prove it to me, then I would be 100% on board because I don't like doing it. But if it turns out that there has to be a policeman, and my experience with humans is that there generally does. Then then the question is, if there has to be a policeman, then who should the policeman be? And my feeling is it should be us, because if it's not us, it's going to be somebody worse than us. And when I think about the things that scare me, I'm not scared about things like this. I'm not scared about overseas entanglements. I agree with all of this, all of it, and Trump proved it. All of it, I get it. But the thing that scares me is is that the people now that have the power of America in their hands are not only not moral people, they're evil, immoral people. And we have the capability of becoming an enormous force for evil. And this terrifies me. Terrifies me. Is that all of the power that we accumulated as being a force of good in the world can now be used as a force of great evil because we have allowed these these swine to take this thing over and and if we don't fight to get it back then we will not have only committed the greatest crime in history in terms of what we simply allowed to be destroyed but we'll be responsible for what happens after that and um and I don't like it I, I don't like it and I, and you know, I've been, we're obviously not going to get to all the questions tonight. And once again, I'm sorry, I will do my best uh, in the future. And maybe I need to do a second show, but I guess this is what the show's about. So look, I think about how I want to wrap this up here. I think that it can be proven beyond any shadow of a doubt. Marusha said, force the world to be its own policeman. How does that work? That's like saying, force, force the people to be their own policeman. 
So what does that mean if you're an 80-year-old woman? How does an 80-year-old woman become her own policeman? That's the whole reason for that you have police. The reason you have police is so that big, strong men can protect weak, frail women. That's the whole reason that you have police. If you don't have that, then it's every it's 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 the it's a triumph of the strong. It's a strong over the weak. This is the whole point. I'm, look, when you get down to all of this stuff, all of it, I have a very simple, 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 simple philosophy. I believe in maximum human happiness, period. And whatever is the best way to, to head in that direction, because it's obviously impossible to get there, but it's also as true as that, to say that there are happier people and happier times than others, so that's where I want to march. Now, I'm not saying that that uh, America and, and representation, America constitutional republic is the best way to go. I'm just saying it's the best way to go that I've seen so far. So, this is this is the 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 deal. The deal is. Despite all of this, all of this, all of this, people still want to come here. The, the American dream still means something. It's being, it's being, um, it's being erased rapidly. And that's why I'm here and that's why you're here. We're trying to stop this destruction because the reason that America is under attack and being destroyed from within is because it is in the way of authoritarians. It's in the way of people that want to tell you that you will take this shot in your arm whether you like it or not. It's in their way. And so that tells me we're on the right side, right? So anyway, I just finished with Justin's uh, comment, which is which is why I love the people I work with, because these kind of conversations are grand. I had a conversation with Zoe today. It was almost an hour, 50 minutes, about whether or not the Earth was created in six days. And, uh, and it was a really interesting discussion. And when it was over, we're still friends. Uh, so uh, just to wrap them up here, yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's degenerate of us to be getting the vapors about the Ukrainian border being violated when the American border is wide open. But I'm not doing that. You're not doing that. Trump wasn't doing that. Half of the country is gone. And they're the ones that have political power now because we were sleeping at the switch and we were sleeping at the switch on the night of uh first november in 2020 we were we were asleep at the switch because we knew that there was all kinds of funny business going on but we didn't think that they would be able to get away with it but they did they're not going to get us twice on that uh yeah silk robes sons of bitches that's exactly right um, okay, 
Uh, I will do that. Uh, so anyway, to, to, to wrap all this up, uh, Justin, yes, all of your points are, are true. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a dismissive way. It, it pains me that all of your points are true. And once again, you're stuck with this. Here's the here. This is the Earth. This is the planet that we live on. This is the, this is how reality is built. Sometimes it's not like this is a good choice and that's a bad choice. Virtually all of the time with this kind of thing, it's like this is a bad choice and this is a worse choice. And 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 so when you ask people to defend something, I'm not defending it. I'm not defending the government of Ukraine. I'm not defending. Uh, all of the corruption, not defending any of that stuff, saying they're great. I'm just saying that they are a less bad option than what's going on on the other side. That seems very clear to me, just based on which direction the, the gun barrels are pointed when they cross the line. So anyway, um, he wraps up by saying, I pray for the people of Ukraine and Russia alike, as do I and as do all people of goodwill. And as far as I'm concerned, both their governments can burn. Yes, and I'll add something to that, by the way. Not only can the Ukrainian government burn and the Russian government burn, but I am well past the point now when I think the U.S. government can burn too. I really mean it. When the, when the FBI is implicated in trying to overthrow a duly elected president, and when the president... I can't say his name and president in the same sentence. I've made a promise to myself I would not do that. So when Joe Biden says things like, well, we knew this wouldn't deter them, or Russia's afraid of me because I'm the only guy that's gone toe-to-toe um, -to -toe with them, and, 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 and Kamala Harris is explaining that Russia's a big country and Ukraine's a small country, and all of this stuff, I say, it can burn too. I want it to burn. I want it to burn. You can burn the Russian government, you can burn the Ukrainian government, you can burn the U.S. government, you can burn the Canadian government without question. You can burn uh, the Australian government that's locked up its own people and done all this, and you burn them all. They deserve to be burned. In fact, that's how we get out of this thing, is by burning down all these governments, burning them down. They are at war with their own people. This is, a, you know, it's really the ultimate, 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 ultimate irony is all of this attack on, on, on common people has been going on for all of human history. These, these, these leaders, these, these aristocrats, these intellectuals, all of them, they've been, they've been just this, they've been like, that, they've been like that, that, that jellyfish on the back of your neck on that Star Trek episode that just do nothing but cause you pain and, and force you to do things that you want. They've been there forever. And, and this current batch of, 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 the, of the Klaus Schwab, uh, you know, tech intellectuals, they want one government. They want a, U, they want a U.S. government. They, they want a, a world government. They want like a, a unified world that they can control. I actually think the most likely output is, is that there's going to be a much more unified world because the people of the world are starting to realize that it's not the Russian and the Ukrainian people that are the problem here. Right? And it's not the American people that are the problem here. It's not the people. It's those guys. Yes, the New World Order that these that these that these control freak swine want to bring about may be a world order that has decided to clean its house of these parasitic 
psychopaths who run most of the governments of the world. They're psychopaths. And and I've had enough of them. I've had enough of them. Uh, Justin closes with, P.S. Bill, none of this means I'm unsubscribing or removing my support. You know, just that sentence alone means the world to me, Justin, because, because it is impossible for me to do this job. I'm not accusing you of this at all. I'm just telling you how much that sentence means to me. It is impossible for me to do this job as a hostage. I cannot ever... I get this, not infrequently. People say, I haven't followed you for 20 years. I love you this, but you said this one thing, and so I'm canceling my membership. Well, okay then. Thanks for the support up until now. If I let that determine what I say, then I'm useless to you and to everyone else. I'm useless to my wife. Most especially, I'm, I'm useless to me. The idea that we have to have a 100% agreement with everybody on anything or else they are dead to me, uh, then, um, then, you know, there you go. Uh, so, you know, anyway, that's that. Um, you see, it closes by saying, uh, P.S. Bill notes means I'm unsubscribing or removing my support. We just disagree, and disagreements is how the world goes around. Amen. I've told you before, although I'm sure you don't remember, that I love you like an uncle and you're one of the most influential people in my life, even though we've never met, I do remember. I know you're fighting the good fight. God bless you, Bill, and give your beautiful wife a hug from all of us. I will do that, and, and thank you. Thank you very much for uh, the, the extremely uh, interesting and, and intelligent question and for the thinking that has caused me to do as a result of it. I'll be, I'll be flying this one on the way home. Uh, chewing this one up. Uh, here's Henry Lumley. I'm just going to read the questions. I'll try to get through the BillWiddle.com questions, at least in this one thing. And I need... Oh, boy. All right. Um, Henry Lumley, I just recovered from the State of the Union drinking game. My God, man, you're a better man than I am. Just now, and I wanted to know what was the cringiest moment for you from the state of Putin bad, so here's Trump's agenda speech. Uh, by the way, here's the latest update on the fleeing Democrats. These guys must be seeing some really awful internal polling numbers. Here's a list of all the House Dems that are not running for re-election. Twenty-four. It's a significant number. It'd be a big number in the Senate. And then, and here are the ones that are looking for other offices. Eight. Okay. Well, the power of the incumbency is is power. Yes. They're fleeing a sinking ship. And uh, and now, of course, uh, the left is trying to say that the gas prices are all a result of the Ukraine invasion. And furthermore, it's the uh, Republicans who wanted to defund the police. This is enough to, you know, enough to make you really, 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 really want to just beat your head against the wall, but there you go. Uh, all right, what's going on here? Um, okay, it's getting a little, it's getting a little, a uh, little hotter in the comment section than I would like, to be honest with you. Uh, 
trying to see what started all this stuff. Anyway, um, here we all are. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to agree on anything. This is how you learn things. Uh, Chris Taylor, life long-time supporter from the Declaration of Entertainment days with a long-time unanswered question. Bill, are you a turtle? I like turtles. Um, you know, Chris, I don't, I don't think I've ever been completely just gobsmacked by a question where I'm just absolutely incapable of answering, but I haven't got the faintest idea what that means. Uh, no, uh, at least not the, the last time I checked, I'm not, uh, unless uh, turtles are, are, are something else, uh, because uh, Leola SAOC says, you bet your sweet ass I am. Uh, let's see, I don't know what it means. I don't know. And some of the suggestions here are ones that I don't want to know. So I'm just going to leave that alone and say um, I agree with both the turtle and the anti-turtle position. I'm agnostic when it comes to turtles. Okay, um, here we go. Eduardo Enrique. Okay, greetings, Bill. Wazard13 here, and maybe it's just me returning to Europe, but I feel like things are not getting better at all. Now I'm on increasing pressure from even my family to take the next booster shot, despite having had the virus after the second shot, proving it's absolutely useless and even being naturally immune since February. Let me just stop you there. Why would your family be pressuring you to do that? And for God's sake, don't listen to them. Um, of all the things, of all the things that are the prima facie stand on its own evidence that this whole COVID reaction has not been about COVID. The number one, number one salient point is this insistence on people with natural immunity to get vaccinated. That is the reddest of the red flags in the entire parade. Um, uh, Eric Blake says, define pressuring. We, we, we all know what that means, you know. It's like, what are you, anti-science? Are you, are you one of those, you're not one of those Trump people, are you? You're not a science denier. Uh, his, he says his German family and so on and so on and so on. Um, uh, yes, you can certainly be pressured and, and there's no question. And, and by the way, social proof, peer pressure is the most important actor on, it's the most, it, it's the most powerful psychological lever that there is. So resisting peer pressure is about the toughest thing you can do morally. Um, Wizard says, can't get an ice cream without a Vax Pass. Um, uh, Kuda says, you've got no obligation to a toxic family. You did not choose them. If you choose a husband and there's a toxic person, you would leave them. So you're not required to remain in a toxic relationship that you chose. Why would you be required to stay in a toxic relationship that you did not? Um, so read my question this week, Bill, situation change. Is this different than this question? I will, uh, I guess I took the older one first. I'll finish this one. I'll do that one. I'll go searching for it and then we'll call it a night. I'll try and get it. Um, uh, here we go. Uh, 
how did the Nuremberg Accords, how is it that the Nuremberg, how did the Nuremberg Accords were forgotten easily is the point I post today. I've been listening to these because I've been following this grand jury thing. The Nuremberg Accords, my understanding of it is, which is imperfect, is basically triangulated, but my understanding of it is, is that, uh, is that these accords came as a result of what the Nazis did with mer medical experimentation and that basically the Nuremberg Accords are very clear that if you are that if you are in any way producing a, a, a medical substance that causes harm, you are ethically required to stop. And another thing that's in the Nuremberg uh, laws is the idea of informed consent. If you're going to if you're going to inject people with something, and they say yes, well, first of all, they have to say yes. If they say no, then then forcing them to take an injection that they don't want to take is Nazi. That's that's Mengele. That's it. That's as bad as it gets. Medical murder. So if you say yes, you have to say yes. And in order for you to say yes, ethically, you have to be informed. Um, that means you have to be apprised of the risk, apprised of the risk. And that is not happening right now in the world. No one is aware of the risk of these of these things. Any attempt to make people aware of the risks results in you being banned. This is a this is a slam dunk case. Uh, it's a slam dunk Rico case of of violations of of laws that were put in place to prevent the greatest horror in at least in modern memory. And and we're seeing it happen right in front of our eyes and not just in one place. The thing that's the most shocking about this is not how bold it is, it's how widespread and, and bold it is. That's astonishing. That's a sign of how bad things, not how bad, that's not how I want to put it. That's a sign of how deeply asleep we've been to wake up and find, what? What now? They're, they're, you're, really? Uh, Shelby says Fauci needs to go to jail. Uh, Fauci needs more than that. Um, uh, but let me just finish this. Uh, I feel still like I'm homeless and alone here. Without the booster shot, I will be unable to carry on anything with my life here. And it seems no matter how much I want to leave, I'm stuck in this accursed continent. <laughs> my God, man, I wish I had that on a bumper sticker. The entire history of America, the entire history of people coming to America and becoming Americans is right there. I feel like I am stuck in this accursed continent. And it's not just Europe. Anybody who's ever come to this country, moved to this country to come here, has that feeling. Um, rest of the world's not faring any better. In Canada, the truckers are absolutely defeated and lost everything. Not 100% sure about that. They certainly lost everything. I'm not sure they were defeated. Um, the war here in Europe is quickly making their plight forgotten. That's a sentence to see. And uh, this week gave many points to raise, but I'll stop with this one. I feel like I'm surrounded by good Germans. Read the article when you can. I seriously recommend doing an MB2A on it. Here's the article. I saw uh, a tweet that I liked very much because it was exceedingly intelligent and it was lighthearted and it was it was hum using humor in the best possible way. It was using humor to 
to make a point and taking the edge off the point. But basically what the tweet said was, I think this is nearly verbatim. The tweet said, let me get this straight. You want Germany to rearm and then take that army into Poland, right? I just want to get this in writing so that there's no confusion later. And that was fabulous. And that's just absolutely great. But yeah, that's essentially what we're saying. Yeah. Um, so, um, all right, so I'll take a look at that article. Um, Uh, here's another one from Henry talking about our cultural civil war and propaganda and stuff. Uh, here's Chris Taylor. All right, well, this one uh, I'll read because it sounds like uh, somebody's a little upset with us. I just saw Scott, Steve, and yourself extol the bravery of Ukrainian citizens who are taking up arms against the Russian invaders of their nation as irregular soldiers on right angle. We held them up as examples of courage that other Westerners should emulate. You've also pointed out that moral courage is an even rarer thing than physical courage. When are you going to do a right angle where the three of you extol the bravery of American truckers and other convoy protesters who face, in the face of society-wide headwind of social proof and social pressure, and legal threats and the example Canada made by impoverishing and imprisoning their colleagues have still decided to protest against domestic tyranny. Certainly it takes a different kind of courage to stand only against the threat of being indefinitely imprisoned without trial under circumstances, under conditions that will be considered a war crime if done to foreigners while being branded a terrorist by your nation's civic leaders and law enforcement officials and almost all the media and having your life savings and business and home and perhaps even your young children taken from you by the government you protest against than it takes to risk physical death fighting your nation's enemies in a way applauded by your society peers and worldwide media but it is a courage that seems to be worth praising and that we need many more people to emulate okay um i'll answer this as plainly as i can i don't I don't know whether this is a result of media blackout or anything like that, but I don't know what the American truck convoy has done. Don't, for a second, misunderstand that by saying they didn't do anything. What I'm saying is the Canadian trucker thing had the attention of the world and the, the U.S. convoy I can't tell you where they are now. I can't put them on the map. Now, part of that may be that a significant portion of the reason for going was, in fact, disarmed when they lifted most of these restrictions. And they lifted most of these restrictions, I think, directly as a result of what the Canadians have been doing. Mobile Moto says no media blackout, no question. The fact that I don't know where these truckers are telling me that our news media doesn't want me to know where they are. Um, uh, uh, D85 says, I will say as a Canadian that the Freedom Convoy saved the Canadian flag. Amen. I agree. Look, everything I, I, I do philosophically, at least 
very clearly internally and lady hawk says i'm very proud of our truckers i'm proud of our truckers too and you know what i'm proud of our truckers when they're not protesting i think um i think that 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 the common people not only where the virtue is but where everything that that's good in the world comes from regular people like truckers and that and that intellectuals like college professors now entertainers provide a function and if college professors educated people they'd provide a function too but but honestly i think the truckers are heroes on a daily basis let me not say heroes just because i don't want to because i don't want to uh, devalue that word they're the backbone of this country right i've done it a, a lot of long distance driving in my life uh nothing like a trucker but enough to know what it's like to be in the middle of West Texas, three o'clock in the morning on Interstate 10, three and a half hours to go before you, you got to where you say you're going to go. I've seen those guys on the road and and not saying this to win points, but I'm just saying this to know so that you know that when I'm on the road at night with truckers, I know that when I pass them, I put on my turn signal. And when I'm far enough ahead of them for them to be comfortable, they flash their lights. And when I move into my lane, I turn off my turn signal and I pop the emergency flashers, ding, 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 to let them know that I'm grateful that they know and we all get along just great. Um, this disdain and this, and this disparagement and this condescension towards working people is, is what is the problem. All of this stuff, all of it, all of it, COVID, election fraud, all of it, Seattle burning, the homelessness in Los Angeles, all of this stuff is caused by intellectuals who think they're smart, trying to enforce their will on, on regular people who they think are stupid, but who have always done things the right way, and they are the problem. And this is all of it, all of it. And, and Justin Trudeau and the truckers, and it's, it's all of it. So if, if you're if your comment is, why aren't we talking about the American uh, truckers, then my answer would be, I have not seen evidence of them being oppressed in the way that the Canadian truckers were. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm just saying I haven't seen any evidence of it. And we supported, Steve Scott and I supported the Canadian truckers from start to finish and continue to do so. So uh, I don't know... Uh, here's some here's some uh, YouTube channels reporting on the American convoy. I think the short answer to this, Chris, is that is that in a way, people said you know the Canadian truckers lost. I don't think they lost. I don't think they lost. I think the lifting. Of, look, as I said, I started the show by saying it's on Friday the indoor mask mandate in California has been lifted. I think that that never would have happened without the Canadian truckers. And I just think they got, I think they got there first. And I think that the Canadian truckers scared the elites badly, not just because of the, the threat that they posed to their power structure, but the fact that their reaction to it was so unmasking, was so illuminating that, that, that these nice, you know, uh, pretty uh, uh, prime ministers are, are, are closet fascists and cowards all of that stuff made them think that I think we probably need to put a, a chill on this. Um, so 
if you if you feel like we're undercovering the American trucker convoy, there's no question that we're undercovering it because I haven't seen anything that is that's the word I'm looking for. I can't I can't put my finger on what it is I want to say. I don't want to say newsworthy because it is newsworthy. Um, uh, a number of people in the comments here just recently have said um, Mike Rowe for president. In my opinion, I've, I've had a chance to talk to him in private, met him and started talking with him over 10 years ago. True story. We were in a in a room with maybe thirty people in it for an organization that may or may not have existed for conservatives in Hollywood, and we were going around the table, and Mike Rowe was making his uh, his first appearance there, and one of his only ones because he doesn't live in in town. And he was saying this and this and talking about himself, and everybody knew him and everybody worshipped him. I was a huge fan of his, and he said, and then you know. I don't know if you guys saw this. He said, you know, but somebody did something about like, you know, what, like if you took all the money from rich people, like how far it would go. I don't know if you guys got, you guys seen that? I said, it's really good. And I said, is it called Eat the Rich? And he said, yeah, that's it. Eat, eat the Rich. And I said, you did that. I said, as a matter of fact, I did. Yes, I did. I tell that story only because I am so proud to know Micro. And when we did the, the, his podcast, and he said this was the most fun show we've done, I, I just got all, you know, got all squishy. And the reason I say that is because Mike Rowe, and I, and I, and I felt this, the, the, I felt this the second I saw him in his first show. I heard his voiceovers before, but when I first see him do. When I first saw him do a Dirty Jobs episode, I said, this is, to me, the archetypical American man. He's handsome, he's modest, he's funny, he's smart, he's dedicated, he's disciplined, he's all of these things. And Marissa says, he's humble. Yes, Mike's got a lot to be humble about. Uh, no, he, he really, I mean, honestly, he's just, he's just a terrific guy. And and the thing that I like most about Mike Rowe is that having watched him for a long time, I don't think he has a mean bone in his body. And I don't know how, if there's one person in in the country who I genuinely think could get this thing back, it'd be Mike Mike Rowe would be the guy. He, he would be a superb, superb, superb president for all the reasons that I mentioned. You know, he's just, he's, he's the Jimmy Stewart of our generation. Um, uh, <laughs> Wizard says he castrated a sheep with his teeth. This changes a man in ways that I can only imagine and which I only hope to be able to imagine. Um, 
he's just a good guy, you know? It's, and, and, and having spoken with him in private, that's really him. That's not, that's not a character. He's, that is him. Um, and Marisha points out the fact that he doesn't want the job is what makes him qualified for it. It's that simple. It's that simple. Having looked at what the elites have done to this country, I remain 100% convinced, 100% convinced that a random lottery of American citizens for president, vice president, 435 representatives, 100 senators, just a random lottery draw of every legal American citizen would give us a government far better than the government that we have now. Far better. Mike Rowe for POTUS, Bill Whittle for Secretary of Defense, Michael Malice, Press Secretary, Joe Rogan, Chief of Staff. Can't be worse than this. No, you could do worse than that, I agree. I would make a superb defense secretary. I'd be the best defense secretary in the history of this country. I really would. I'd be such a, I'd be a fantastic defense secretary. First thing I would do, first thing I would do is I would just basically get every single person in the military on a Zoom call, and I would start off by saying, as of this moment, all of the bullshit stops right now. It stops right now. And we all know what I'm talking about. It's done all the damage it's going to do. Now we start to repair the damage. The United States military is in the business of inflicting violence in order to succeed over people who we deem to be our enemy. And that is all you do. And since that's all you do, that's what you have to do very, very well. And anything that doesn't come down to winning a contest of inflicting violence is a waste of your time and your money and our time and all of it. So every single general in the military, every single general rank officer, admirals, all of them, gone. Many of them are honorable and some of them would be a loss, but this is just what you have to do when you're trying to contain uh, an infection. They're gone. Uh, I'd be tempted to say colonels as well, but there is a difference between generals and colonels. Uh, the Pentagon has been disbanded. Uh, we are all now going to just go from one base to another, and when we need to be in one place, we'll just pick a base, and that way we can hear what the actual story is going on the ground. That's called connecting to the truth. And I would say instantly, we're not going to, we're not going to, um, we're certainly not going to witch hunt people, and we're not going to uh, try to kick people out of the military for who they are. We will make an extraordinarily uh, stringent effort to kick people out of the military who don't want to be in the military or whose idea of being in the military is anything other than seeing America prevail. Those people are out of here now. But if you're gay, women, whatever, transsexuals even, you can stay in the military if you are about being a soldier, and if you're transsexual, you're going to the bunk and the and the barracks that you were assigned, and we're not gonna we're not gonna indulge you. We're not saying you shouldn't have a right to do these things. It's a free country. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we're all here ready to die for. But this is not the place for that. You can do that out there. So, as far as women go in combat or in military. There are some superb pilots out there and all the rest of it. Even if women could meet the, the physical standards necessary for a combat unit and they can't, they don't, they can't. Even if they could, I would not, if, as Secretary of Defense, I would not, I would not allow it. Because 
because of because of what it does to the males. And the overwhelming majority of the guys on the tip of the spear are going to be guys. And and that's not to say that women can't serve, and it's not to say even that women can't serve in combat. But when we're talking about guys on the ground with rifles, it will screw them up. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's my initial speech to all of you. Um, basically, I'm going to be going around to every uh, base and and every installation and everything, and I'm not going to be talking to any of the admirals or colonels. I want to talk to chief petty officers. I want to talk to sergeants. That's who I want to talk to, and I want to talk to captains and majors. But mostly I want to talk to the CPOs and I want to talk to the to the sergeants because those guys know what's really going on and they'll tell me the truth. And then I'll talk to the mid-grade officers. I don't want to talk to lieutenants because lieutenants don't have any idea what they're doing yet. But by the time you get to be captain or major, you've probably seen enough of reality to know what we need to do and what we need to not do and those are the people who we're going to be talking to, and those are the people we're going to be promoting. And, uh, and furthermore, my first uh, uh, announcement as Secretary of Defense was that after consultation with the, the President, um, uh, we have uh, come to an agreement, and this was a, a precondition of me signing on for the job. We have made it clear that we will take whatever portion of the defense budget is necessary so that the people who were forced out of the military because of the nature of what the military became, we would like those people to come back and we will pay you at your pre-existing rank payment for every day that you were gone. If you left the military six years ago, honorably discharged from the military because you couldn't stand all the BS that's being generated, then we want you back. We'd like you to come back. We'd like to give you a raise, but we will pay you for every single day that you were out of the military if you come back. That's what I would do. That's what I would do. And, and I, would say, I would say, you don't owe us. We owe you, but please, please come back. Um, uh, because that's, that's the real irreplaceable treasure is ex the experience of, of our, of our people. That's it. We need them back badly. And I, if you've been out for 20 years and you want to come back, here's your check. Boom. That's not a big expense. I bet you could do all of that for the cost of a single F-35. I know you could do all of it for the cost of a single uh, uh, Virginia class sub or, or even a, another carrier. I would be willing to sacrifice a carrier. I don't mean sink one. I mean stop payment for one. If I could get all of the experienced people in the military back into the military, it would be the best deal you could ever make. And I would also start looking very, very seriously at, at our maintenance issues. Uh, the um, uh, when I was uh, honored enough to be on my second Navy tour, I went, I did one on a on USS Pasadena. I've been on a nuclear attack sub 600 feet below the surface of the ocean, doing 20 knots, and that means that the that the Pasadena is not even not even breaking a sweat at 20 knots. Um, uh, I would 
I, I was on this Admiral's launch, uh, and we went through San Diego Harbor, which is extensive, a lot of ships out there. And every time we passed a ship, everybody on that ship had to come to the railings and, and salute, come to attention. And I thought, it's good to be the Admiral. This Admiral was saying that our problem is maintenance. He's saying, we don't have enough ships to do what we need to do, and most of those ships that we don't have are, are light, laid up for maintenance. And somebody said, might have been me, why is that? Yes, it was Com Surf Pack. It was an admiral, and he, was, he looked like he was on the ball. Uh, I said, why is that? He said, well, somebody made a political decision that the Navy would not be doing its own maintenance, that the Navy would contract out its maintenance to private contractor firms. Okay. The problem is, this was during Obama's presidency, the problem is, since Congress will not pass a budget and hasn't, Senate hasn't passed a budget in four years, since there is no budget, when we go to these private contractors who are supposed to be doing the repair work on our ships, they say, okay, you want us to do $700 million worth of repairs, can you guarantee the money? And I have to say, no, I can't because we don't have a budget for this year or the next year. We've just got uh, interim spending emergency bills. That means I can tell you we can, make, we can make payments for four months. And I hope we can make payments for the entire two years. I know we can do it for four months, but if you need to know, can we do it for two years? I can't promise you that because we don't have a budget. Now the guys in the, in the civilian sector, this is the Admiral talking, say, well, with all due respect, sir, you're asking us to hire all of these people and to gear up to do all this stuff. And then you're telling me that you can't tell me in contractual terms how long you, you will need that for. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, so, so more and more ships are spending more and more time down. And all of this, all of this, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, I still in my heart of heart believe that the second we decide to stop this nonsense, we will be fine. Just fine. That's how much better we are, I think. That's how much better we are than the way we're behaving now, and that's how much better we are than the Russians and the Chinese and all the rest. I'm not afraid of them at all. I am very afraid of, of Millie and people like that because, anyway, as a Joe Biden moment. Yes, because I, you know, the, um, um, yeah. Anyway, thank you for the stirring speech, Mr. President. Please be careful. There's a step at the end of the platform there. We don't want you to go down, at least not on camera in front of the world. Um, so, yeah. Um, Millie is the poster child for everything that's wrong with the military, and you could make the case everything that's wrong with society because he represents the military. Our biggest threat, the biggest threat to face the nation is, uh, is climate change and, uh, and unfair treatment of, uh, of transsexuals. And, and primary mission in the United States is inclusion. I think my understanding was the primary mission of uh, the United States military was to go and kill people that, that want to hurt us. That's what I thought. And as Secretary of Defense, I'm telling you, that is now job number one. Job number one 
for the military is getting as good as possible at killing the people we tell you to go kill. If that causes you some discomfort, you're probably in the wrong line of work. Because that's the bottom line. Now, who those people are is not your concern. That's the concern of the politicians, which under ideal circumstances means the will of the people. Ours is not to question why. Ours is to do and make them die. That's our motto. And that's what we do. And if, you, and if you're not comfortable with that, there are many other opportunities out there for you where you can express yourself in any way you want to. Uh, this is the dirtiest job in the world, and it's the most important. So if you don't like it, we will give you uh, honorable discharge because you haven't done anything dishonorable, but now's your chance. And, um, you know, if that means we're short, then we're short. We would then get the people we want, not the people that we think we want. Um, yeah, be, be nothing to it. The Russian army seems to be suffering. The Russian army is suffering from, from, um, The Russians, the Russian military has a problem, I think, in that they equate brutality with strength. Now, they don't have the disease that we've got, which is the precise opposite, the idea that weakness is something to be worshipped. But Russian hazing and stuff, is it destroys those, it destroys those people. It doesn't make them into better soldiers, it destroys them. Um, and uh, that's not what you want. Wash Mike Rowe would run for president because I think I'd have a good chance of being Secretary of Defense. I would much rather have that job. By the way, if I'm Secretary of Defense uh, and I go uh, anywhere, uh, I'm not flying in uh, in a you know in a converted Learjet or a converted you know whatever a C9 or whatever. Anywhere I go, I'm going in the back seat of uh, something that goes there fast. If I'm going to a carrier, I'm going to go in the back seat of a Hornet. Um, that's how you go to carriers. I'm not going on a frickin' cod. Going on a carrier. Give me your give me your, your best pilot, put me in the back of an F-18, and we'll get there in a third of the time. That means more fun. Uh, Eric says, I want the job. That disturbs me. Yes, but I'm not running for the job. You see, that's the difference. Um, so I don't have to lie to people about getting a job. I just get appointed. Boom. Uh, and I know the history of weapons and war and all that. I'd make a freaking excellent, excellent Secretary of Defense. I'd make a much better Secretary of Defense than President, I think. Uh, and I'd make, a, I'd make a damn good Secretary of State, too. Only because uh, of the low level of the bar. John Pershing says that CODs are retiring in a B-22. Is that right? They're going to get rid of the CODs? They're going to do B-22s out to carriers now? I didn't mean to diss the CODs. The CODs are amazing. They're really, really cool. It's like a carrier, um, what's it called? Carrier uh, something, something delivery, right? It's it's the it's the little uh, turboprop uh, 
transports, cargo planes and transports come in and out. I, I, I haven't had the chance to do that yet, uh, but um, I do know friends who, who, who've done it. Carrier onboard delivery, thank you very much. Yeah, those guys, they, uh, they do a lot of the work. They don't get nearly enough credit. I suppose uh, some some of you have seen and some of you have not seen, but the but the air crew was was uh, was uh, decorated for this. There's a there's a, a cod, so it's a, it's like a very very small compu commuter plane, twin engine turboprop, small, and it has to land like a jet has to land and catch the uh, wire and it has to go off the catapult, and there's video of of a cod going down the, the catapult shot and it's a it's a cold shot there's not enough there's not enough pressure in the in the catapult and that means the plane's not going fast enough so you see this thing go and it just disappears it's just gone and it's gone for a long time i mean 1000 2000 3000 4000 5000 it's like where's the splash and then after some horrendously long time, you see this thing just climbing out. And the, the crew, the crew understood the fundamentals about airplanes, and that is they don't fly because of the engines, they fly because of the wings. And if the wings are not going fast enough, it's not an airplane anymore. It's just a lot of aluminum and steel. So it doesn't matter how low you are. It matters how fast you're going. And those guys have the good sense to put the nose down. When every instinct in their body is saying, pull up, they had the sense to put the nose down and got themselves enough flying speed. And somebody's pointed out the ground effect also had a big deal because when you're close to the surface of the ocean or surface of land, there's actually compression underneath the wings. The air can't get out of the way fast enough and you get lift when you're very, you gotta be low, low. You gotta be like a wingspan lower, lower. But when I was flying gliders, and uh, and the problem with the glider, of course, is that you don't have an engine. And so a serious problem would be, especially when it's windy, you're flying the downwind, which means the wind is pushing you. And then you turn and then you come back to land. Now you're flying into the headwind and it's not uncommon for guys not to realize how much of a wind there is. So they go down, they're a little bit long, they turn, they get blown down a little more, then they turn again, and now they're looking at the runway, and the headwind is so strong that they're not gonna get there, and everything in your body tells you, keep it flying as long as possible, but that will get you crashed. The only way that you will get to that runway is if you dip the nose and get on the deck because you need airspeed, you need speed to penetrate that headwind. So if you're doing 40 knots and the headwind's doing 30 knots, you're moving towards that thing at 10 knots and you're not gonna get there. That's why you have to dive and go from 40 knots to 70 knots. Now you're moving 40 knots against a 30 mile a knot headwind and you will get there. And I remember thinking that and remember seeing that in my mind and, and I did it once I did it once with an instructor who said, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm saving the airplane, man. Uh, and I remember thinking, yes, that's exactly right. That makes sense. You have to do the exact opposite of what you think you should be doing. That's why you train. And those guys, they, I, they were, 
you know, they they damn near got their dolphins. They nearly got their their submarine rating for that one, but they they pulled it off. And that's the kind of thing we need to see. That kind of training, that kind of morale, that kind of um, guts, skill, intelligence, that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, I think it's probably time for me to wrap this baby up. 8.30, another short show, two and a half hours. I don't, um, I don't get to all the questions, but I have been putting in the hours, so it's quality versus quantity kind. Um, okay, thank you, Marcia. I'll take a look. Uh, so again, um, we get to what we get to, and uh, I don't know, I'm going to do one a night, I guess, now, or something, get to all these things. <laughs> Helios says, a nose-heavy plane flies poorly, a tail-heavy plane flies once. Precisely. Jemuld said, did anyone hear about President Trump's plane having to make an emergency landing due to one of its engines failing? What are the odds of a plane's engine, especially a jumbo jet's, failing? The odds of a plane's, of an engine failure in a jet is infinitesimally small. The chance of a, two independent failures is zero. It's so close to zero that it's zero. Um, they're the most reliable machines in, in the world. Yes, I will check your update. Thank you, Wiz. Uh, and I'll leave you on one of my favorite um, aviation anecdotes. There's a fighter pilot at an Air Force base. It's a true story. And he's got a mechanical issue, and he needs to um, he needs to get on the ground so he can ask for a short approach to get this thing down. And the tower says, uh, negative. Uh, we've got a B-52 on a five-mile final with an engine out. And the fighter pilot said, oh, the dreaded seven-engine approach. That's that's the kind of spirit I just, that's why I'd love to be defense secretary, because of guys like that. Uh, one guy um, in, a, in, a, in a fighter uh, had a major problem, landed. True story. Uh, yeah, that last one. This is two. Landed, gear collapsed, he's skidding down the runway, flames coming out the back. The tower, while he's in motion, the tower radios him with, with what they're trained to radio with him because there's nothing else to say. So the, basically the tower says, uh, uh, you know, um, you know Buick 14, uh, state intentions. And the pilot, he's going down the runway, flames coming out of the back, he says, I don't know, I ain't done crashing yet. <laughs> it's absolutely epic. I think maybe my favorite is uh, who did I tell this to? Oh, we had a waiter. My wife and I went out uh, uh, on um, for International Women's Day, which is a big deal in Russia. We had a waiter, and she he said his father was a was a, a Hornet pilot on a carrier. And I said, well, tell him this story. He's probably heard it and told it a thousand times. Uh, there's this uh, true story of a, a nugget. It's a guy who's uh, new, he's, he's, he's basically hasn't landed on the carrier yet, so uh, it's not an easy thing to do. You get better at it. And so he's making approach after approach, and they're all bolters. A bolter's when you hit the deck, but you're, you're too far downstream so that the, you've already passed the wires, the, the, the hook 
doesn't catch the wires and every time you land every time you land the second that you hit the deck you immediately go to full afterburner in case you don't catch the wire if you wait to see whether you caught the wire or not it's too late and you're in the water so slam full afterburners and when you catch the wire then the jet stops you come back on the throttle so this guy this kid young guy is just going around and around it five six times now he's he's so low on fuel they're wondering do we have to send up another tanker for this guy do we have to defer, divert him to a land-based runway and the and every time the kid fails kid this grown man every time he he fails to catch the wire it's like it's getting worse and worse and worse it's really starting to eat at him and now the air boss is there and everybody's like thinking my god this guy's not we're not we're not going to get this guy aboard we're not going to be able to recover him he's just getting too nervous so finally on like the seventh attempt or something this guy finally comes in and catches the fourth wire. The plane comes to a stop. The guy's so stressed, he's so adrenalized, that he's still on full afterburners, and it's staying on full afterburners for a couple seconds or something. And then finally the air boss gets over to the window, and he, and he gets on the radio, and he says, uh, you can come off the throttle now, son. You're not going to make the boat go any faster. Isn't that great? Not going to make the ship go any faster. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, I love that so much. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm heading home to my beautiful wife and my beautiful house. My beautiful wife. And I often ask myself, well, how do I get here? One of these days, I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. Thank you, Marcia. Yes, and thank you for all of you for the goodwill uh, to, to Natasha as well. For me, as always, so on. Uh, for letting the days go by. Uh, and um, time isn't after us. Time isn't holding us. Time isn't after us. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Thanks to the members, uh, and as always, and we'll see you next time.